Everyone has a story. Stories of adversity, stories of perseverance, stories of accomplishments, and maybe even stories that will make others laugh. No matter the story, we can be inspired and motivated by them. Most of all, we can learn from them. This is the Big Peach Ride Run Podcast, hosted by me, Dave D2 Martinez, and I want to hear your story. And welcome. I'm your host, Dave Dolomite Martinez, and yes, you can call me D2. And today I've got a great guest. Her name is Marley Blonsky. She is an advocate for people um, of all sizes, genders, races, ages, income levels, and abilities to be included and welcome in the bike community. And, you know, she just speaks, uh, you know, about inclusion and inclusivity as far as events, as far as gear. And she's got a nonprofit. She's got a podcast. And uh, we'll get all into that. But first, I want to share some cycling news, something that I'm excited about because it's coming to Atlanta. I think if you don't know much about cycling, this would be a great opportunity to, because I think many of us are familiar with the Tour de France. Even if we don't follow it, that's sort of the visual image that we typically think of cycling. But there's a different levels of racing events and different, uh, you know, um, categories of cycling and things that are happening. So this was announced just last month, and I'm excited about it because it's coming to Atlanta. So it's the National Cycling League, and it is the first professional sports league that is majority that is uh, majority women and minority owned. And one of the things that they're um, you know doing is that it's equal salaried pay for men and women, plus there's prize winnings. Now this is a criterium style of race, or what's referred to as crit racing. And what it is is there are thirty laps around a closed one to two kilometer course, and they're typically racing anywhere at speeds of 30 to 45 miles an hour. So think of it of like Formula One racing, but on bikes on city streets. And I'll have links to more details about that. Now there's several, this is a point series type of race where Atlanta is a second stop of that series. And that's taking place on May 14th from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. I'm not familiar, or at least they haven't released where it's going to take place. But, you know, almost a decade ago, there was a tour to Georgia and there was a, a, you know, it's a stage race through the state of Georgia and they did have, um, you know, cycling, uh, like a criterium style, um, you know, course set up down in downtown Atlanta that came by Centennial Olympic Park and went through Midtown. And if it's anything like that, it's going to be a great setup to see some high level professional cycling. Um, and it is really, really interesting. Um, they're quick. Uh, so, you know, you'll see them multiple times if you're on the course, I would recommend go out there and check it out and put this date on your calendar. But also, I would say, go to YouTube videos um, and and look for NorCal Cycling, and he is a a crit racer um, out of Northern California, hence the name. And he analyzes um, a lot of the races. He analyzes. He wears a GoPro. He analyzes his races. He breaks it down after the race. Looks at strategy. And it is really interesting to learn the tactics and dynamic of racing, how to position yourself, the strategy that goes into it. And he shares, you know, things on screen that are like, you know, power as far as the amount of watts being produced, heart rate, um, wind speed, and the course. Um, all that's overlaid over the video. And it's just really, it just feels like, you know, NASCAR or Formula One type of racing, the way he kind of breaks it down, it just makes it really interesting. And I think, man, if they could do that in real time and and, and televise it, it would really get this sport um, a lot more uh, awareness and people would get probably a little bit more involved. So I um, want to share that with you because I'm excited about it. I'm pumped. I plan on being down there and checking out that, that, uh, that, that race. Um, so, you know, as we get into now with our guests, you know, one of the things that, you know, like I said, she's all about inclusivity, you know, and I saw a couple videos because I just feel like even though she's, you know, in cycling and, you know, maybe not well known, I think she's sort of kind of becoming a bit of a celebrity in the, you know, gravel and, and cycling type of community, because I've seen several videos where she's been featured in. Now, she has a, a website uh, called Life on Two Wheels. Um, she has a nonprofit called All Bodies on Bikes. She has a podcast that's also All Bodies on Bike. And 
because of that, she got picked up and, and became sponsored uh, as an athlete um, for Shimano. And Shimano is, um, you know, if you're not aware of, you know, Shimano, they make a, a lot of the bike parts, a lot of the components, the chains, the gears, the shifters, brakes, you know, anything that typically goes on a bikes, they um, manufacture. Um, and, you know, a lot of your bikes, you may actually, if you own a bike, may actually have some Shimano components, if, even if you're not aware of them. But they made a video um, featuring her and, you know, kind of explaining, you know, the concept um, behind all bodies on bikes. And so check that out on YouTube. I'll have that uh, link in the show notes. Um, but there was another video I came across because, like I said, I'm kind of getting into gravel and wanting to learn a little bit more. And, you know, Pearl Zumi, which makes clothing, um, you know, apparel, you know, created this video called Gravel, a love letter, and she was featured in it. So if you want to know a little bit more about the history and how kind of gravel got started, you know, that's a great video. And once again, I'll have that in the show notes. Um, but she's all about building inclusive cycling communities. And we had a great conversation. Um, she is what I would describe a bigger bodied woman. And we get into a little bit of the terminology because she, that's, she described herself that way, but she'll use other terms as well. We talk about some of the, you know, the, the words and, and, and how we use um, certain words to describe people and how she's taking some of those words back um, as a description, not as a way to, um, you know, using terms like fat, for instance, right? You would never call someone fat, um, but she uses that to describe the same way you would say tall short, you know, um, as a descriptor of an appearance. But we talk about all that. We talk about things of inclusivity, even in, in apparel, because I, you know, we get into this topic as well, as far as apparel, as far as, you know, not having extended size ranges. And that's typical of not just cycling, but it's also in running. And it's probably in other areas where you can't find some of the same clothes that you see for, you know, I would say average people, you won't find those in extended sizes. So we look at that, we talk about inclusivity through marketing images and just a term that I, I love. And that's just, you know, joyful movement. Not everyone is out there, you know, racing, um, you know, uh, you know, whether it's for running or on a bike, it's just about going out, living a healthy lifestyle and just having that joyful movement, whether it's walking, running, cycling, you know, or even just commuting, you know, on foot or on bike. Um, so we get into all that. And it's just a great conversation. I just love her attitude. And she is just one of those individuals that's inspiring others. And she's trying to make a difference in, uh, in the communities and in this industry. And potentially she's going to, you know, you know, she's working on, you know, doing her own clothing line. So I look forward to kind of what she's um, going to do in the future. But for now, you know, just, you know, we, we have this com great conversation and uh, you can, you know, you know, Listen in right after this break. At Big Peach Running Company, we take pride in listening to your needs. We take into account the shape of your feet, previous injuries, and activity level to guide you to comfortable shoes for your feet. Whether you're a runner, walker, fitness enthusiast, or simply need comfortable shoes to wear, we offer the best customer experience in the friendliest environment. It's no wonder we've been voted one of the best running stores in America by our fans. Visit any of our nine Big Peach Running Company locations for a free fit assessment and video gate analysis. Go to bigpeachrunningcompany.com to learn more. And welcome back, everyone. So I am, you know, really excited to have uh, Marley Blonsky uh, here on the podcast. She is an advocate for people of all sizes, genders, races, ages, income levels, and abilities to be included and welcome in the bike community. I think that covers the whole, that's inclusivity there in a nutshell, right? So welcome. Thank you. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do. Um, and I don't know if this is the best note to start a podcast on, but uh, I know we're not doing a good job of getting every every single body, but we're working on it and we know that we can always do better. Well, I think, you know, you have to, just the fact that you're trying is a step in the right direction. You know, you're not going to solve something like this overnight. Um, and I know that, you know, as, as I mentioned before I hit the record, we've been, you know, um, you know, we, we're primarily been a run store, you know, mm -hmm. and only recently have gotten in, into bike. And one of the things that we've heard consistently and this happens, you know, um, you know, someone comes into our store for the first time, you know, we've been in business almost 20 years and someone will come in like, I didn't know you guys existed. I didn't know you guys had a store. I never heard of you. And, and that makes sense in the sense that for that individual, you know, running, 
you know, wasn't part of their world. So, you know, we were, we're a small segment of a larger, larger, you know, community and environment, especially in Atlanta. But typically what they'll say is once they've kind of come in and you get to talk to them is that they have hesitated coming into a run store because they feel that they're going to be uh, judged, that they don't see themselves as a runner, um, that they think that everyone that works in a running store, you know, runs marathons every weekend or is where, you know, Olympic athletes go and retire and work in a running store, you know, or that everyone grew up running in, you know, middle school, high school and college. And that's all it's the stores, you know, filled with is individuals that are always running. And that I believe also crosses over into cycling where people find it intimidating that it's something that, you know, um, we all have learned to ride a bike, but at a certain point, feel like you have this image of the Tour de France. Yep, or what a cyclist looks like. And exactly, and if you, you don't fit into that, it can feel like there's not a place for you. Exactly. So let's uh, let's uh, you know, like I said, you know, let's start with that because let's start with how did you get into cycling? Yeah. Um, well, I for the listeners out there, you can't see me, but I do live in a bigger body. I'm five two. Um, where like size extra, extra large. Um, but I've been riding bikes my whole life. Um, I grew up in Texas and as a, an elder millennial, I guess, child of the nineties, we rode bikes all the time. Um, you know, we could watch TV, but this was like back in the days of like the bunny ears on the TVs. And so like, there really wasn't anything on. So we would just spend all of our evening free time, basically, uh, riding bikes outside. I grew up in a neighborhood with a lot of other kids, thankfully. Um, and it was, you know, they say these things, but it really was true. Like when my mom came outside uh, and yelled was when the streetlights came on and it was time to go in. Um, so I just grew up riding bikes and it became like a tool of mobility. We used to ride to school on it and give me some independence. And then I just found that as I got older, um, you know, up into high school and college, I rode less and less, um, whether that was a function of, where my school was at, it wasn't really bikeable anymore. Um, or just I was playing other sports and then I started working. The bike kind of left my life. Um, and then I was probably 25 when it came back into my life. I had just gotten divorced and I moved from a, a fairly car dependent part of Seattle to a very dense part where a car just didn't make sense. You know, you would drive 10 minutes trying to find a parking spot by your house um, and it was much more time efficient to take the bus or to walk or to ride a bike. And so I started out riding the bus to and from work and I was going like two miles and it would take 45 minutes. And I would just like be sitting there pulling my hair out, watching people biking. And I was like, I want to be doing that. Uh, part of it, I was also just young. I, you know, was relatively healthy, but I wanted more community. And so the folks who were riding bikes looked like people I wanted to be friends with. Um, and so just kind of made it happen through like willing myself to like, I am going to ride my bike, I'm going to do this thing. <laughs> well, I, I'm always impressed. I think, you know, by individuals that commute because it, it's really is a dedication a to commute in, you know, inclement weather. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, and not only that, but deal with any traffic because I'm more of a recreational cyclist. You know, I'll go out and, you know, it's not great for the, you know, the environment, I guess, but I'll drive an hour, you know, with my bike, you know, loaded in the back so I can ride two hours in rural areas where I feel kind of safe and comfortable, you know, yeah. with, with a lot of, without a lot of traffic, you know, and I don't feel safe doing that in, you know, in, in the city, but I understand the appeal and I, there's a part of me that I would love to have the ability to, uh, you know, uh, commute to a job because I do think that there's something there that just, you feel good about it. You're like, I feel like I'm getting healthier. I, I arrive, you know, with, you know, I get the, those endorphins. I'm in yeah, a better you, mood. I would arrive awake. Um, whereas it was so easy just to like, you know, stumble through my morning and get on the bus and, you know, scroll through my phone versus when I took the time to ride my bike, you had to be alert. Um, part of it was because like most of my commute was downhill. Um, so it was like, cold wind and air in my face, but also, you know, just being alert for pedestrians, and other cars. Um, I don't know. I think I, I eased into it. Like I said, my first, uh, 
where I was commuting to and from was downhill on the way there. And on the way home, it was uphill. So I wasn't even changing clothes, really. I was just riding to work in cute dresses, putting on a pair of leggings underneath, and then, um, you know, changing when I got home. I eventually moved a little bit further out. And so incorporating my bike commute actually took effort of like packing clothes to change into. And I eventually started, you know, keeping shower things at work. I was very lucky. We had a locker room. And so I would just ride my bike to work and then shower at work. And now I work from home and I miss that bike commute so much because it really was like you would see the same people over and over on your bike commute and it became kind of a little community mm-hmm. of, you know, oh, there's the guy who doesn't have a fender on his bike and I don't want to ride behind him. Or, <laughs> you know, there's the mom with her two kiddos on their way to school. Um, and so I miss that so much. Um, but now I work from home, so I can't really complain. <laughs> yeah, I, I also work from home. I, I will say that at one point I did uh, attempt a bike commute. I think I did it for a few months and I did it primarily because I wanted to get in, you know, just to be healthier, you know, Mm -hmm. and also because I just felt like it would take me just the same amount of time if I drove. Exactly. You know, Um, because I found myself a lot of times sitting in traffic on the interstate and then waiting to get off an exit. And, you know, so I was like, well, let me try and and do that. And I did do it for a a short period of time until my schedule kind of changed, work demanded a little bit more for me where I was required to work almost 12 hour days. Ooh, five yeah, days, five days. Yeah. So I would have to commute really early in the morning, almost in the dark, you know, as the sun came up and then come home at after seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night. And at that point, I'm like, I'm coming home at 830 at night. I'm like, when am I eating dinner? I'm eating dinner at right. nine o'clock. It just didn't make sense. Um, and it just made it really unsafe to commute in, you know, both morning and in the evening, almost in the dark. Sure. So I went back and resorted to just, you know, uh, driving, but, uh, there, like I said, there's, you know, Atlanta has its own kind of issues with infrastructure and safe, you know, trying to get, you know, safe roads and, you know, pedestrian access and bike lanes. And I, I see a lot of that pop up through my social media feeds of, you know, examples of poor infrastructure. Um, you know, and there's even recently, um, some, some, uh, uh, you know, barriers, I think that, you know, during the pandemic were, put up on to, to make, uh, you know, uh, the side, you know, two lane roads and a one lane road. And they had little areas where you could ride through and, and they took those down once the city opened up and you know, downtown got a little bit more active and people driving in, they took them down and upset a lot of, you know, commuters and people that were riding around through downtown. For sure. Yep. So, but it seems like you were lucky in the sense that, you know, Seattle, I think is sort of kind of known for having a very more bike friendly, uh, city. Yeah, I would, I would say so. Um, definitely parts of the city for sure. Um, and that gets into a whole gentrification, systemic racism issue that we probably don't have time for today. Um, but thankfully, the parts of town that I was living in had a lot of bike infrastructure, bike lanes, um, bike lanes that had been fought for, you know, a lot of city council meetings and advocacy work um, that I had taken part in. Um, so it is a little strange to come to Bentonville now where there are a couple of bike lanes and there is work being done on the infrastructure, but it's not at the same level. Um, it's really interesting because so Walmart is headquartered here mm-hmm. and they're building a brand new campus. Um, it's like a 500 acre campus set to rival like the Apple campus and really attract top tier talent. Um, and they have set a goal for 10% of their workforce to commute by bicycle. And so the city is kind of racing to um accommodate that and make sure that there are, you know, safe routes to this campus. So I'm really excited for what the next couple of years are going to hold down here in Bentonville. I, I think there's a lot of change coming. Well, I'm, you know, you know, as, as I was kind of doing my research and I'd heard about Bentonville, I knew about Walmart being there. Um, I actually think I had some friends that uh, worked um, with us and they left. I think if they didn't move to Bentonville, they moved nearby Bentonville. We actually thought that they were, you know, uh, her husband was getting a job at Walmart. Turned out it was a different company. And, um, but it was kind of in that area. And so I was familiar a little bit with them. And then the more I started doing research, found out, you know, that, you know, now they're considered the mountain bike capital of the world. You know, I think it's a self ascribed title. But yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and because, you know, I've been a mountain biker like off and on, like anything else that I've done. 
And at one point I thought that on the East Coast, it was Solly up in North Carolina was sort of like the mountain biking capital of the East Coast and Moab was the West Coast. So when I hear that, you know, Bentonville in Arkansas is like the mountain bike capital of the world. And even if it is self-imposed, that's even more, um, you know, braggadocious, I guess, right? You know, it's like, what? You know, how is that possible? And then you go online and you look at videos on YouTube and you look at the parks and the trail systems they put together and you're like, okay, I get it. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of it is super integrated into the city itself. Um, So there's a, a gorgeous museum called Crystal Bridges and on the pathway down to there, you know, there is a pedestrian path, but all up the sides of it, it's kind of through a, I've learned this word recently. It's called a holler. Um, it's like a, a valley. I don't know. It's, it's an Ozark word. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> but up around this uh, art museum, there are miles and miles of single track. And it's really cool because it does have like beginner single track that's family friendly all the way up to like expert level with six foot drops. Um, so I am just starting to explore it. I got my first mountain, my first like real mountain bike mm-hmm. a couple months ago from Cannondale. And now that my knee is kind of feeling better from surgery, I don't know if we're going to talk about that or not, but I have gotten a chance to get out on the trails. So it's like, I found this 10 mile loop from my house. That's about 10 miles. It's about a thousand feet of elevation gain. It's all single track and it starts and ends at my house and I can do it in an hour. It's absolutely wild. That's awesome. Uh, Because there's not many places where you could from the center of town or even within a, a city, you know, area find great mountain bike trails. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, just like you were saying at the beginning, you know, when I lived in Seattle, we would drive 45 minutes to go ride mountain bikes for the afternoon. And I, now I realize like how lucky I really am to just leave my front door and be on single track in a block or two. That to me, that seems like almost like heaven, you know, just to be able to uh, ride your bike everywhere in town to ride to trails very easily, you know, from your front door seems like that's a perfect environment, you know, for anyone that's it really, really is. Yeah. And like, if you're into gravel, um, you know, a couple miles of pavement to get out of town and then you've got hundreds of miles of gravel. I just went on, um, they called the, the Femme Gravel 100. Um, it, they're trying, or they're working on training up a bunch of women to ride their first gravel century um, or, just a gravel century, even if it's not your first. And there were 40 of us on a random Saturday in February. Um, we actually split up into two pace groups and we did 30 miles of gravel, uh, starting and leaving from downtown Bentonville. It was, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that is pretty awesome. I stumbled onto, um, a video. I was scrolling through and obviously, you know, the algorithm on YouTube and everything and all of a sudden starts popping up, feeding you things that you're, you know, you're, you're, you're seeing. And I saw someone that, and I was surprised. And now I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. There's actually a, a bicycle hotel or motel. There is. Yeah. And you know, they've got bike racks inside the room. They've got a bike wash area. Even the vending machine sells like cliff bars and like, you know, different, uh, you know, goo or whatever nutrition items or things that you, they're calling like the gears or something. And I was yeah. like, that is so cool. We're, we're actually having an all bodies on bikes retreat there, uh, later this spring. So we're excited to support another small business, um, that is really leaning into the recreation economy. Um, it's funny. I, I was on a meeting last week and Arkansas, the state of Arkansas has a new, um, department of outdoor recreation to study the economic impact of outdoors. And it is absolutely wild how much money outdoor recreation brings into the state because until I lived here, I had no idea how, um, I mean, they call it the natural state for a reason. There is hiking and rafting and paddling and biking everywhere to be found down here. It's really cool. Yeah. That's what I'm finding out. I mean, the, like I said, the videos that I've seen and I mean, I I feel like we're almost like just plugging like the tourism of Bentonville, you know, and (laughs) you should like, you know, sponsor this podcast because it's just, you know, or at least the, the state of Arkansas should as well, because it is amazing where, you know, prior to, um, even, you know, doing the research, I, like I said, I've heard of Bentonville, but, I had no really sort of kind of idea that I would ever want to travel or visit. And yeah. now it's one of those things like, I got to go. I think there might even be a direct flight. We have a very tiny airport. 
Um, but again, because of the outsized influence of Walmart, you can get a direct flight to Chicago, to Denver, to New York. I want to say Atlanta too. Okay. Um, yeah. And it's, it's an easy place to come. Um, I, I don't think you need to rent a car. It might be a pain to get from the airport, uh, but it's just a cute little city to explore and, you know, either bring your bike or I haven't done the math, but I think there's like 10 bike shops here in town. Yeah. It seems like there's, there would be a, a good amount of bike shops there. Yeah. <laughs> with, the, with the amount of cyclists there, I think it could support that. And with the am amount of people that come from out of town, I think, I think they, they would do very, very well there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting though. So I've been doing, um, I don't know if we're going to talk about this or not, but getting ready to start my own clothing line, um, yeah. plus size cycling clothing line. And so a lot of research goes into that. And I'm learning that like Bentonville isn't necessarily my ideal consumer market um, because a lot of the folks here are like either elite level or used to be pros or um, are not plus size folks. And so I was hoping I could just go into a bike shop and, you know, watch people try and find clothing. But most of the folks who are coming here are already fairly well set. Um, so it's just an interesting demographic for sure. Well, let's get into that because I did have that on my topic of things to discuss. So let's transition to that because, you, you know, we talked, you talked about uh, just clothing, right? You, I saw that uh, you have a uh, University of Arkansas Greenhouse Outdoor Research Program where you're yes. looking, looking at all bodies on bikes clothing for that, you know, extended size range, uh, you know, for, you know, both men and women, I guess, right? Yep. Um, exactly. so how is, how is that going? Because the one thing that happened recently, and once again, I, I mean, I see, I see your name pop up a lot in trade magazines I, and I commented earlier, I feel like I'm talking celebrity because I've got emails from Pearl Zumi and you're right there front and center, you know, as like a, you know, they're one of their athletes and, and, and experts, but you know, there was an article, uh, that I read that, um, machines for freedom, which used to make these type of clothes was probably one of the only cycling brands that were doing this and was uh, bought up by specialized and they just closed that down. And so where it was seemed like the industry was moving in that direction. Now it seems like it's stopped, you know? And so now here you are working on your clothing line. Tell us a little bit more about that. What got you into it and kind of your background and story as to kind of why you're, you're doing this. Yeah. So, um, I will say I've been working with Pearl Azumi, um, since the film came out in 2021 and they have been a phenomenal sponsor. Um, they don't make their entire line in extended sizes. Um, for example, all their mountain bike stuff and all the, they call it bike style. It doesn't even come in my size. And so while I was initially really hopeful, um, that they would expand their line to be more inclusive. Um, it doesn't seem like that's the direction they're taking strategically. Um, potentially, I don't know. Um, but I, I did get their blessing because obviously it'd be a little awkward if I started making a clothing company while I have a clothing sponsor right. um, to really focus on the extended size market. So, um, you know, as a store owner, I'm sure you know, like a 1X in one brand is not a 1X in another brand. Um, so we haven't quite landed on our size chart yet. Um, I just started working with another woman who has a lot of expertise in extended size clothing and pattern making and pattern grading. But our goal is to fit a much wider range of bodies than currently can fit into bicycle clothing. Um, because we know that we're out here, we're riding bikes, we're going on these adventures, we're riding with our kids or, you know, whatever way that we want to ride bikes. And a lot of folks are doing it in subpar clothing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, leggings, t-shirts, jeans, kind of whatever they can make work. And that's just not an ideal experience. Um, I mean, for me personally, I had never had a kit, like a cycling kit. So a jersey and shorts that really fit me until um, spring of 2020. And Machines for Freedom sent me um, a couple pieces. And I put it on and I was like, oh my God. Now I understand why everybody wears this mm -hmm. because it's comfortable and it works. Um, and so I think, you know, if we can get other folks to kind of have that aha moment of, oh, okay, this is how I go enjoy 75 miles on my bicycle without constantly worrying about my shirt riding up or, um, you know, my pants being uncomfortable or the chamois not fitting my sit bones. Um, there's a lot of work to do. And I, I might be naive in thinking we can do it. But I think, you know, if we start small, get a couple products out there and then expand, um, I, the market is definitely there. I was just reading something that like even in standard clothing, so not even talking bicycle clothing, 
Um, even though plus size women make up the majority of consumers in America, it's only like 12% of available clothing styles. Yeah. I mean, this is the discussion we've had also. Um, and I, I'll have to go back because we had a, a, a podcast, I think several years ago where we had someone who did it, put on a 5k race and it called it the plus strut. And it was primarily for, you know, plus size women, you know, for that building that community. And, yeah. and one of the uh, conversations we had was specifically about apparel because they couldn't find running apparel. They would see something from one of the major brands, you know, um, you know, uh, a Nike and Adidas, New Bones, whatever, and they would go and look for it and they weren't, they weren't sizes available. So, yep. you know, so a lot of times, you know, as retailers, and I know you covered this, I think, in 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 your podcast and in I think even on your website and some other things I've read, that even you know, the retailers are not really necessarily the ones to blame. No, it, not at all. You know, I mean, unless there's something available and they choose not to carry it, then yeah, then maybe they are at fault. But for the most part, there isn't any availability in those sizes, you know, typically and in running primarily, I think it just goes like like I said, maybe up to uh uh, you know, just a, a, a 1X or, or maybe even a 2X, but yeah. that, but it stops there. And even on the, for men, I think it's a 2X, you know? Um, and so, you know, people's like, oh, well, you know, if you carry, you might sell some. Well, yeah, maybe, but no one's making it. We can't even try to see if there's a market for it. But our conversations with individuals that, you know, um, that we've had says that really there's a market for it that the the majority of the population doesn't fit that those sizes that are currently in stores, at least in a running store. Right. So there is that potential there. And I do think that, you know, I think it's one of those things where the saying goes, build it and they will come. I think that's probably what will happen with your brand when you start um, doing all bodies on bikes clothing. And I, I hope so. And, um, I caveat i think we're changing the name um just so that there isn't confusion between all bodies on bikes like the nonprofit community group and the clothing group mm -hmm. um or the clothing company but um we'll figure that out down the road yeah uh <laughs> well because i because this is the you know typically this is the way i see it happening and you know i think this is what happened with machines for freedom right someone sees it you know sees that yeah, they're doing something they're being successful with it and then here comes a bigger company and says, well, we didn't want to take that risk. Someone else took that risk and they're being successful with it. And now we want, you know, that market share. We want a piece of it. So yeah. I could potentially see that happening, you know, with you and, and, the, and the clothing line that you'll do. Yeah. And definitely not opposed to that. Um, you know, it's interesting for years, I've been basically complaining about the lack of inclusive clothing. And people always said, well, just make your own brand, make your own brand, make it yourself. And I always said, no, I shouldn't have to. Um, and I've just kind of reached the point where it's like, okay, actually, yeah, it is time to do it, especially for making bigger clothes because 3X is not big enough. Um, especially when you talk about apparel sizing or excuse me, like athletic apparel sizing, like 3X translates to maybe a size 18, 20, like it's just not that large. And there's a lot of folks out there who live in bigger bodies who want to be running or walking or just moving comfortably. Um, one of the most fascinating parts of research as I've been going through this customer discovery is asking people how they want to feel when they're on their bicycle. Without a doubt, in almost every conversation, everybody says comfortable. They don't want to think about their clothing and they just want to look like their smaller friends on a bike. So it's not like we're asking for the moon. We just want to like wear clothes that are purpose built for the activity we're doing. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I mean, and it's, it's one of those things where, you know, Regardless of what size you are, you know, if you don't have the right gear, you're not going to be comfortable. Right. Right. So why not then create gear, you know, clothing, you know, uh, you know, apparel or any other things that are going to increase that comfortability, you know, the, the ability to be comfortable for everyone. And that gets more people in bikes. It gets exactly. people to be more active. And one of the things that I, that I like a term that, that you've used is uh, joyful movement. Yeah. Yeah. Because to us, we don't care why you're riding your bike. Like we want to empower you to do it in a way that's safe and in a way that brings you joy. So like for some folks that might be training up for, you know, the MS 150 or um, training it for a triathlon, or they just want to ride with their kiddos. Um, it's really none of our business. Like we're really not trying to police health or, 
you know, who is really a cyclist or any of that. We just want to make sure that you've got the right equipment to do it safely and comfortably um, and that you've got a community that you feel supported by. And, and, you know, and, and I, I like the, the term that you and, and what you just said, because I think there's a lot of times and I, I know that I've I'm pretty sure I've been guilty of it. Is that where you assume that because someone is running or mm-hmm. someone's cycling, they're doing it specifically for health reasons? Yeah. That there's that they're training for something that whether it's a, their first 5K or their first century ride or whatever it is, so you make that assumption that that's the that's the only reason they're doing it, and that it's not just for the sake of I enjoy being on two wheels or I enjoy exactly. running or whatever it is. I enjoy being outside and it doesn't necessarily matter about, you know, pace or speed or distance. It's just, like you said, joyful movement. Exactly. Yeah. And that's one of the things when we do consulting work or, you know, size inclusion trainings is to make sure we talk about, you know, with salespeople of talk to bigger people like you would any other customer. Um, You don't have to interrogate them on their reasons for wanting to ride a bike or run or, um, you know, it could be helpful to ask, hey, how do you intend to ride this bike? Are you going mountain biking? Are you just going, you know, to the store and back to make sure you're on a bike that's going to work for you? Um, But it doesn't really need to get much more in depth than that, you know? Yeah, I, I would agree with that because I, I do find that even for us, you know, at, at, you know, as a running store, the primary question when someone comes in is like, oh, what are you training for? Yeah, which can be helpful. You know, if somebody's training for a marathon or a through hike, making sure that they know how often to replace their shoes. Um, it's, it's really what is the intent of the question um, and what are you going to do with that information if it's just, you know, okay, small talk. Like there's so many things that you can talk about that don't bring into a person or bring a person's size or weight into it. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I mean, it is a valid question, I think, because if it's one of those things that if they are training for a marathon, that could then change a little bit of how you would, rec- you know, a shoe that you would recommend, especially if they're having like, oh, I'm having knee pain or something like that, exactly. that opens up, you know, but just in, in of itself as, as a, as if that's the only question, then that probably, it, you know, kind of pigeonholes that individual into like, oh, well, you know, I'm being judged, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, it can be a great opening question because then you might say, oh, cool. We've got a running group that meets here every Saturday of all paces or, you know, oh, cool. You're training for that bike ride. Hey, I am too. Or there's, there's so many connections that can be made there. So I don't know. I'm not telling people not to ask questions, but just to treat everybody with empathy, how you would want to be treated. You know, if you walk into a place where you already feel like you don't belong, you're pretty sure they're not going to have clothing that fits you. Like, how would you want to be treated in that situation? Right. Yeah. And and yeah, it makes perfect sense because I do think sometimes we forget, you know, as individuals, especially when you work in the store, right, you can become numb and maybe even forget what it was like when you first came into that store, because like I said, yeah. not all of us started out as runners. Some of us came on, you know, became runners in, you know, in adulthood. And we felt that same way. I mean, I remember, you know, initially not wanting to come to the same company that I work for now, you know, I was hesitant to come in and shop, you know, because I didn't foresee my, I didn't see myself as a runner and I thought I would be judged. So it's a good reminder of how to treat others and how to, you know, like I said, show empathy, um, and it's like, it's, it's, it's something that's open to everyone, regardless of, you said, you know, size, you know, weight, gender, you know, whatever. Let's just, it's, it's just be part of the club, be part of this, you know, uh, lifestyle, you know? Exactly. Yep. So, you know, let's get back into talking a little bit about like, you know, cause when I went through your website, you know, and you know, cause it's a, it's an interesting conversation. And I think this is one of the things that we need to, to, to ask these questions, get a little bit um, better information, or at least from the perspective of someone like like you, because you know it's the best way I think that we can learn how to treat each other better, but also talk to others better. So, sure. you know, there was something on your website about you know body neutrality versus body positivity. I love this conversation. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I think a lot of folks have heard of body positivity. Um, you know, it's it's thrown around in the media or on Twitter. Um, I think about the Dove campaign for from a couple of years ago that it was like um, a bunch of women of different sizes and shapes. Um, I mean, it was problematic in its own right, but we won't get into that. Uh, saying, you know, I love my rolls. I love my cellulite. I love my body. 
and the whole idea behind body positivity is like your self-worth is based on your body, which is problematic for so many different reasons. Um, so instead I like to practice body neutrality where it's like, I don't have to love everything about my body, but I can appreciate what it does for me and what it allows me to do. So it's like, I can be frustrated by my knee because it's continually in pain, but I can be grateful that it still lets me go ride a hundred miles. Um, I think most importantly about that is like body neutrality. The whole idea is like how I feel about my body has nothing to do with my self-worth. Um, they're completely divorced from each other and you can feel neutral, positive, negative, whatever about your body, but your self-worth is, is separate. Um, I think most importantly about all of that though, body positivity, neutrality, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't change how larger people experience the world. You know, it doesn't change the embedded fat phobia in our medical system or it doesn't make airplane seats any bigger. So there's still work that has to be done. Like how you feel about yourself as an individual. Great. I'm glad you feel good about your body. I'm glad that you've come to a place of neutrality. Now let's work on these bigger issues to make sure we're all treated fully as humans. No, I think that's, that, that, that's, a, that's a great explanation. Um, there's other things that I, that, uh, I saw on your on website and this is one of those things where I'm like, I don't know that I would ever use as these terms, you know, sure. just because for me, it just seems like it's sort of kind of mean, but you have a glossary of words on your website Yeah, and you describe yourself as fat. Uh -huh. And it's, it's, it's something that I would feel like being mean to say, if, if someone says, oh, well describe Marley, that would not be what I would use. I would feel uncomfortable using that, but you've, you've taken it and saying, well, no, this is who I am. So explain a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate your kind of, um, I don't know if awkwardness is the right word, but like just candor about this. Um, and I would, I would ask you like, why, why would calling me fat? Why would that be a mean thing? It's because of the power that we've given that word. Um, and so for a lot of us in the fat community, we just use it as a neutral descriptor. It describes the body type. It doesn't mean anything beyond that. I think so often, you know, the, the word fat is used um, to mean lazy, stupid, um, you know, name whatever else you want to. They're, they're equated with each other. And by decoupling that and saying, nope, fat is just the same as thin, tall, short, blonde, brown, whatever. Um, it's just a descriptor. Um, I will say it took me a long time to get to this place. Uh, you know, I was teased pretty mercilessly as a child. Um, and so by calling myself fat, it takes the power away. So if I do it and then somebody else calls me fat on the internet, it's like, okay, and mm -hmm. what else do you have to say? Right. Um, so I, I would caution you. I think you're in the right headspace of being cautious about using that word because not everybody has come around to that and it still does have a lot of emotional power. Um, and so that's why we suggest, you know, neutral terms, people in bigger bodies, smaller bodies, because um, bigger and smaller also, they don't have any emotional weight tied to them necessarily. Well, I, you know, and like for me, I think if you look at me now, you know, this is not who I was growing up as a, as a, as a child, you know, I, I was fat, you know, I was, you know, I, you know, so there's that part of me as well in the head that there's that little fat kid inside my head, you know? Right. And, um, so I, I found it interesting when you said that, you know, and, and explained it and, because I, I, to me, it's like, I never wanted to be called that. Like I said, right. I found it to be kind of mean stuff. And, you know, um, and it's just one of those things that I think it's just, it, it doesn't really matter. It shouldn't matter. Right. You know? But yeah, I think it does hold a lot of weight. I think a lot of us as kids were teased for our body size. Um, and so it still can be really hurtful. Uh, and I want to honor that for other folks. I, I, if I, if somebody else hasn't self-identified as fat, I'm not going to go calling them that, you know, I'll use people in larger bodies or, um, bigger bodied folks or whatever words you want to use, but until somebody explicitly says it. So, so let me bring up this because I saw an article that was written re you know, recently and I saw it through social media. I saw a couple people within my circle of triathletes kind of jump on it and, and feel like it was, um, you know, 
poorly, poorly written and poorly researched and maybe the terms that were used because it had a lot of what you were saying. It was, a, it was a, an article, I think, written by someone, a triathlon coach for, I think, USA Triathlon. Okay. And it talked about the term Clydesdale. Mm. And Athena and this individual and how they were kind of, once again, wasn't, uh, was sort of promoting it more for losing weight and being healthy and those things as opposed to, like, that doesn't have to be the reason for someone wanting to do a triathlon. Once right. again, getting back to what we were initially saying, you know, kind of, you know, assuming that someone's doing it because they want to be healthy. But does, what do you think about a term like Athena and, and Clydesdale that I've seen primarily in triathlon? I'm kind of ambivalent towards them. Um, I, <laughs> I know a lot of folks have strong feelings on it. You know, Clydesdale came from a big horse. But I've talked to folks who, and I should say, I don't do a lot of racing. Um, I do a lot of participation. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it's not so important to be in my own category with other people of the same body size. Um, but I know a lot of folks who have raced in the Athena or the Clydesdale categories, and they like it because they feel like it's a more even playing field and that they're not racing against somebody who weighs a third of what they do. Um, I will say when I've looked at it, I think the weight limit for Athena was like, 160 pounds or something and that just feels really low to me um <laughs> so I, I don't know where i land on it i don't know if there's other better words for it. i mean athena is a pretty good word because it's like oh yeah i'm a goddess yeah um clydesdale i, I don't know i have friends who love it friends who hate it i um, mean i mean the horse is a very majestic horse I, so i don't yeah I, I can understand that being using the term and like said athena as, as like you said, a goddess, right? And it's sort of, because it could be used sort of, you could have picked another term that was felt more derogatory, right? Right. Um, so, I don't know. I think um, if it's done appropriately, I think it can be really helpful for getting more people into the sport to feel like they're like automatically on or they're starting on a level playing field. Um, I had a friend who did a mountain bike race last week and the Clydesdale men were released like they were set off onto the course. And then a minute later, the cat, cat one and cat two men who were like the fastest ones mm -hmm. were released after them. And that was just, he said, really stressful because of course these, you know, the really fast people are going to pass them, but they just felt like they were in the way. So I think, you know, those categories can be good, but they have just like anything have to be executed. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's one of those things that, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a process, right? You know, I think as long as everyone's sort of kind of learning at, you know, through that process and trying to do a better job, then I think we'll get better at it. You know, For sure. these event organizers and, and, you know, um, race directors and stuff, I think we'll just get better as long as they're listening to, you know, the, the, their, you know, the, the participants those that, are, that are paying money to be there because, exactly. we, because if, if, if they're not paying money, then they're losing money. You know, they're, they're, they're they want their numbers to go up. Uh, so they can return and do the race year after year after year because that's how they make their you know their 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 livelihood. So yeah. um, they got to listen and they got to improve the races. So. Exactly. My hope would be you know if you're going to have an Athena and a Clydesdale category that you also have merch or swag for people that are in those categories because I can't tell you how many times a week I hear from folks who you know we talk about how to make things more inclusive and they always say have bigger sizes at the events. Um, so making sure that race and event directors aren't just doing lip service by providing the category. So it was interesting that you, you, you mentioned that because I, I almost forgot, I was going to bring this up when I was initially doing the prep because I listened, uh, to one of your podcasts and, and you were mentioned that as far as the merch available. And I had just recently signed up for my first gravel event. Which one? Um, so this is here in Georgia. It's, uh, it's, it's, are you familiar with six gap century? No. Okay. So it's, it's, you, know, I, you like I said, it's gaps. I think in, like maybe that's what you meant by holler in here in, in the South, like in Georgia, they call it the gaps. But anyway, the, you know, it's a century ride and they have a, a three gap and six gap. So it's, you know, um, yeah, uh, I think, uh, and they've got shorter version as well, but you know, you're talking metric century, a full century, but sure. lots of elevation, you know, in the, in the, in the mountains here in Georgia. So very, very difficult. Um, primarily it's been a, a road, uh, event in the fall. And now here in April, they're doing a gravel. So I signed up to do that. You know, it's the first year they're doing it. So I'm like, why not? You know, it's like, I got yeah, a gravel bike. Let me, let's just do it. You know? Um, so I'm doing the 60 mile as my first time on gravel. 
7,000 feet of elevation gain. That's a lot. Yeah. So I figured let's just, because otherwise if I did the full hundred, I think it was more like 9,000 feet. I was like, let's just dial that back. Let's not get yeah. too much over. Let's challenge ourselves, but let's not go, you know, up, 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 over our heads, you know, um, but during that registration, they give you the option uh, or what's included in the price is a jersey, you know, of the event. And you had to go to a separate site to kind of place the order and, you know, and, and do all that. And I did look and they did have uh, extended sizes. So I thought that was good. I don't know that it goes all the way to, I think, I, 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 I do recall looking at them like, oh, yeah, they're like, they're doing a good job, but they're not quite there yet. Based on what Marley said on, on, on the podcast, <laughs> looks like they could use, I think maybe on the women's, like they could have used maybe an extra size or two, you know? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I don't know what the size charts necessarily are, you know, uh, at that point. But it was one of the things I'm like, ah, okay. I'm like, that's, that's good to know that someone out there is doing it, but that... Uh, the the company that was doing the the jerseys at least they they're aware of that and they're trying to produce those sizes for sure so, that's awesome yeah yeah i went to a race a couple of years ago and on the event producers website it only went up to like a 1x but the brand that they were using i was familiar with and i was like i'm pretty sure they make up to a 5 or 6x um so i just reached out to the race organizers and said hey is there a reason that the bigger sizes aren't available and they said oh that's an oversight on our part we'll get it fixed that's um, good so yeah, I like to approach these things with like grace and generosity because I don't think people are intentionally trying to leave people out. Um, I think, you know, if you've never lived in a larger body, you don't know what our daily experience is, is like. And so it can be hard to keep everything in mind for everybody. Um, so I try and go for, you know, progress, not perfection. We're all going to mess up. We can all stand to learn a little bit. Um, and I think that's you know, helps build some bridges instead of making people so mad at me. <laughs> well, I mean, I think you, you you definitely have a mission and I do like, you know, kind of your approach, you know, as far as, you know, not assuming the worst in people, assuming that it is an oversight that, you know, it's something that you can, you know, uh, ask a question and it's up to them really what they want to do and respond. And based on that, you can say, well, I'm either out or good, you know, progress, you know? Yeah. I tell you what though, if I ask you about it and you don't like, you're not willing to like have a conversation or like, nope, we're just not going to do it. You're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. You're not. But I do think that brands are missing a very large potential customer base by not serving people in bigger bodies. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think it's, it's a valid concern. And I, I think for really for businesses, I, I would say it, for any type of uh, you know, manufacturer of, let's say, shoes or apparel or things like that, if you're missing a segment of the population, you're missing out on sales. Exactly. You're, yeah. You, yeah. So as, as someone that's, if you're truly looking at the numbers and the potential of growing your business and sales, then why would you not consider extended sizes? And even yeah. if it's like, let's experiment, let's just put our, you know, a little bit of effort into this, let's test this out. And, and, and then look at the marketing behind it as well, because this is one of the things that, that, uh, you know, as the marketing director for our company, it's one of the things that I've become very aware of as far as images that we use. Yep. Um, and being, you know, in the past when I first started out, it was like, Hey, this is who we got. This is who we're going to take photos of, to, you know, cause we have our own, uh, you know, apparel line, you know, just has our logo on it. Um, and you know, you would take photos of it, you know, lifestyle or stuff for e-com, whatever. And, you know, this is who we got. Yep. And you took a very passive approach to it. You know, it's hard to find volunteers that come in early one morning and take photos. And what ended up happening is that it became very, it looked non-inclusive. It did yep. not show inclusivity. And so now I'm very much aware of that. And wherever I can try to make that extra effort and saying, I know we have people in our stores that are not that, you know, size, extra small, small, you know, right. that we have individuals that look like everyday people. So why would we not try to put them on our website, put them in, in our email marketing campaign? That's a huge thing I try and coach businesses on is, you know, your consumer will reflect who you have in your marketing. 
And so even if I go to your website and you supposedly have plus sizes, but the models that are showing those clothes are straight sizes, I'm going to assume that you don't actually make my size and I'm not going to shop with you. Um, I mean, there's so many, you talking about like representation, there's so many folks out there in all sorts of body shapes and sizes and ability levels who are doing these sports. And yes, it takes work. And yes, you have to pay them because, you know, pay people for their time and efforts, but it will come back to you. Um, and that's, you know, one of the things I often hear from brands is that, well, we tried doing plus size and it didn't work. It didn't sell. And I go back and I ask them, well, you know, did you educate the consumer that you had this? Right. I was like, no, it just got added to the website. And it's like, well, if we go on there, we don't see a body that looks like ours. We're going to assume that you don't have it because why would I assume anything different? So it can't just be, oh, we added bigger sizes. It has to go into the marketing, the social media, the images in the stores, um, how the product's displayed. It, it's not easy. And I'm not trying to say that it is. Um, but it just takes a little extra care and forethought. Well, yeah. And, and that's one of those things, like I said, we've had conversations now with a couple of our vendors and one of them, you know, I think a year ago um, at one of our meetings, you know, mentioned the idea of carrying extended sizes and, and using it as sort of kind of an experiment and, you know, whether we would um, uh, have to, um, you know, what we would do if we would, you know, bring it in, you know, and the key there was, that we had to promote it, we had to market, we had to show yeah. Im images of individuals wearing the product because otherwise there was no way of knowing, of letting people know that we carry that. So then, you, exactly. you know, if, if they don't know about it, then they're not going to come in and they're not going to shop. Right. And um, I've been mulling this around a lot as I'm thinking about making a plus size clothing line is, you know, in-store availability. And, you know, is it realistic to expect that you're going to have a 3X in multiple colors for me? I don't know, but can you have a 3X that I can try on and then say, cool, I know that that fits. Now I can order through you with that company or whatever it is. Um, so I think it just takes some creativity. It takes a takes a little bit of work, but in the end, it's going to make everybody's experience so much better. No, I agree. I think that's what we have to do as as retailers and is talk to our to the brands that we do business with and kind of put pressure on them to to, you know, expand the sizes and then let us be creative in what we can do, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, to get that consumer into our stores. And, you know, if we sell more, then, you know, they make more money as well. So I think it's good for everyone. Plus, you know, as an individual, you get good clothing that you feel comfortable, you know, riding or running in. And I think that's, then it's a win-win for everyone. Exactly. REI is a great example of that. Um, if you look up what the work they've done on size inclusion over the past couple of years, um, I believe for all of their vendors, they're required to now make extended sizes. Oh, okay. Or at least have a plan for it. So, and that has made so much outdoor gear accessible to larger body folks um, that before, you know, you couldn't even find a black puffy jacket. And now you've got brand choices and color choices. Like what a world. That's awesome. All right. So before, you know, we we'll let you go, there's one question because I've just recently gotten, like I said, got into gravel. I know so that, yeah, and then I know that um, Benville's got Big Sugar. Yes. And I think registration opens up for that in March. I think so, March 1st, maybe? Yeah, and they've added, yeah, they've added now, I think, a mountain bike part, part of it as well. So I've got, I'm, yeah. on the, I'm on the newsletter. I get their emails now. So tell me what, if I were to sign up, because first of all, it's like, is it hard to get in? Is it one of the things where it's like a lottery or, or, that's a good question. I, I believe so. I mean, it is, it's one of the lifetime events. Mm -hmm. And now with like the Grand Prix um, and sort of the prestige they're building around it, I would say sign up early for it. Okay. Um, I have no idea if it'll go to a lottery system. I would imagine that it would. Um, and I would say, were you going to ask which distance you should do? Yes. Or at least what can I expect, you know, uh, you know, from that course? Yeah. You can expect a lot of sharp, punchy hills. Um a lot of chunky gravel. Ozark gravel is notoriously chunky. Um, if it's wet out, it'll be muddy, um, but absolutely beautiful country. Um, you know, more cows than you can count, more barns, just at, at lots of creek crossings. Um, so you'll be going, you know, through the woods, um, out into farmland, um, and it will be fairly hilly. We did, um, I've, I've done the Little Sugar route a couple times, which Little Sugar, I think is 50 miles. And it still has almost 6,000 feet of climbing on that. Um, okay. So 
lots of climbing but they're fun like nothing around here is a huge extended climb like on the west coast you know i'd be looking at a two-hour climb and it's like okay i'm climbing literally all day and here it's like okay maybe i'm climbing for 10 minutes okay all right. Yeah. Well, that's good to know because uh, right now it's on my radar. I've got a couple things that I've been doing this year and I've got like the first half of the year kind of mapped out, yeah. kind of knowing what I'm doing. And uh, so I'm looking at now at the back half of the year and I'm looking at, uh, especially after seeing all the videos of Bentonville and, and just, the, you know, I'm like, I, I want to be part of that community. I want to, I want to experience that festival like atmosphere and the energy uh, around an event as big as, uh, you know, Big Sugar. Yeah. And I, that's a great week to come here because um, they have outer bike, which happens here. So you can demo a thousand different bicycles and ride them around. Um, there's another conference, the People for Bikes conference that happens that week. So the whole town is just kind of buzzing with bicycle energy and positivity and like the downtown square. They shut it down to traffic and they have the expo and the farmer's market. Um, and it's really family friendly, too. So you know, if your partner or wife or whoever is into art, there's really great art museums. Um, yeah, I I recommend everybody come out here and spend a week and just kind of experience it because it really is way different than anywhere else I've ever been. Well, I'm 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 definitely going to try to make plans. If I can get in, I will I will see you in uh, October at uh, Big awesome. Sugar. So yes, thank you, but you so much. But you come out here regardless. So Atlanta's not that far. Yep. All right, I'll make plans then. All right. Thank you Thank, so much, yeah. Dave. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, and you know, for all of everyone, you know, check out uh, Marley on All Bodies on Bike Podcast, available on all the podcast platforms, whatever you choose to use, iTunes, Spotify, you know, Google Play, whatever it is, uh, check her out because it's a, it's a fun podcast, especially if you're new to cycling. They're covering a lot of the basics of just the lingo and things, you know, how to get started. So thank you so much. And uh, I look forward, maybe we'll, uh, you know, catch up again and do another episode. I would love that. Thank you so much, Dave. All right. Thank you. Big Peach now sells bikes at our Brookhaven and Midtown locations. Big Peach Ride and Run. We help get you into the right bike that fits you and your needs. Many of us enjoy being on two wheels as much as our own two feet. It's not only a great way to stay active and fit, it's also a great way to recover from long runs and have fun. We carry kids, commuter, mountain, gravel, road bikes, and more. No matter what you prefer, with brands like Giant, Live, a division of Giant that makes bikes exclusively for women, and Momentum, we've got whatever bike you're looking for. Stop by and check out the selection of bikes at Town Brookhaven or Midtown, right on Peachtree Street, or view our inventory online at BigPeachRideAndRun.com. Uh, and welcome back, man. I hope you uh, really enjoyed that conversation. We really ran out of time. I could have talked to Marley for for uh, you know a bit more. There's a lot of things that we could get into specifically, but uh, you know, um, you know, I hope to have her, uh, you know, uh, back on in the future um, as you know we find out what happens with the clothing line and other things. I think she's got so much to contribute, so much that she could change, you know, the perception. Um, within the cycling community um, and beyond that, it, like I said, it's, it, it could even include running as well. But, uh, you know, I wasn't kidding when I said, you know, as far as what, you know, Bentonville, Arkansas has done, uh, I would recommend checking out some of those videos. I'll put some of those in the, in the show notes. But I, you know, after, you know, looking into uh, kind of, you know, gravel rides and stuff, like I said, I signed up for one up in um for uh, six gap up in like the Dawsonville or Dahlonega area. Um, and I'll be doing that in April, but I'm looking at other races. And so right now I'm looking at, you know, big sugar, um, that's in, you know, that's, you know, in late October, that's sort of kind of like the final gravel race of the season. Um, it's, it's, it's a lifetime event. So they, you know, they have all those athletic facilities, even here in Atlanta and, and all across the country, but they're producing these great, um, you know, events, you know, um, you know, they, they, Leadville, which, you know, they, they, they sponsor and, and put on the Leadville trail marathon that I'll be doing. They do the Leadville, uh, 100 trail race. Um, and they do the Leadville 100 mountain bike race. Um, they do so many other, you know, events and they do the grand prix with the professional cyclists. I think I've talked about that in the past, but what they're doing, they just announced that they're making this like, I think it's over a week. It's, you know, where it's, you know, they're 
starting the, the, in October with Little Sugar Mountain Bike, which is 100K, 50K, 20K, and that takes place October 15th. And then Big Sugar Gravel, which is 100 miles and a 50 miles, uh, is October 21st. But it's like this whole, you know, they're calling the the Big Sugar Classic Cycling Festival, which starts, like, I think, in October 14th all the way through um, the 24th. So, like, 10 days. And they have conferences. They have expos. So, if you're really interested in cycling and, and you know, you're in advocacy and just learning more more about kind of what's going on because I think people on bikes, you know, has a conference there as well that same week. Um, you know, they'll all be there and it's a great, great community. I mean, I think the city of Atlanta should have some representation there because I think they can learn a lot about the infrastructure as far as what they've done with mountain biking trails and just the bike commuting there. Um, even with Walmart there, I think uh, Marley mentioned this about how they're putting money into you know, some projects there because they're building a large campus facility where they want the majority of their employees, you know, commuting via bike. And so there's a, a lot of infrastructure and things that they've got to put in place in order to make that happen. So I think it's just a great example of what this community can do and how businesses that are focused on cycling can help create a better infrastructure for a city and for a community that just increases, you know, just, you know, just living a, a very healthy lifestyle and, um, and just, you know, promoting just that joyful movement that, uh, that Molly mentioned. So, you know, if you're interested, like I said, I'm going to look and try to get registered. Cause I do think that registration goes quickly. I think they said last year they signed up, uh, or filled up and sold out in less than 10 minutes. So big sugar If you're interested in either doing the little sugar mountain bike or the gravel and any of those distances registration for that opens up on March 1st at 6 p.m. Central Time. So I know where I'll be at my computer, refreshing my browser um, and and trying to register for that because I think that's going to be a great time. So I hope this has inspired you. And, you know, even if you're, you know, a runner, cycling's great for your for your joints and less impact on you. I know I use it for, for cross training. So until next time, keep running, keep riding and keep believing in yourself. See y'all. Do you have a story or know someone with a story that can inspire, motivate, or even empower others? Email me at podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com. I want to share your story. Don't forget to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with others.